Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. It is great to be here. We are actually in Edinburgh today in the mighty P's and G's with the wonderful Reverend Canon. What, what is your title, Dave Richards? Reverend Canon David Richards. Rev, Rev Canon. What does that actually mean? Um, it means I'm an honorary canon, which is like a sort of... Um, like the one o'clock gun in Edinburgh? Or? It is a bit, yeah. Um, yeah. The thing of Blackadder, boom, 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 <laughs> okay. boom. And I am the canon that keeps on going. Cool. Um, but it's like an honorary post. It's like a recognition. A bit like sort of the Bishop's Birthday Honours List. Right, okay. So it's for long service. Oh, long service. Yes. Oh, cool. That's pretty Which good. When I preach, they usually are quite long <laughs> yeah. services. Well, I didn't like to bring that up, Dave. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, so it's really great to be here. And obviously, you're a, a man of leadership. You lead a massive church in the centre of Edinburgh and have been a leader for ages. You're also on like just about every board or commission or organisation I know of. So there's Tier Fund. No, no. No, not no, Tier not Fund. Tier no, <laughs> what's a World Vision? World Vision. Alpha. Uh, Alpha. EA. EA. Those are the three. Those are, those are three pretty, to be fair, the Alpha one's the best, but Obviously. you know, three of them are pretty. Best Christmas meal. You heard it here, folks. You Only heard it. Christmas meal. <laughs> 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 and so, how did how did your leadership journey start? Like, what did it look like? Where did you? What's your background? Um, well, I became a Christian when I was seventeen, and I'd been a Christian for about um, eighteen months. Went away on a youth group weekend away, mm -hmm. and um, at the time I was a Baptist. Um, before I had the operation, <laughs> and uh, it was a Baptist church youth group weekend away. And on the Sunday morning, the speaker said, uh, we're going to listen to God for 10 minutes individually yeah. and then get into groups. And if you think God's said something, <coughs> then uh, share it. And I'll come around and just check that you're not all heretics yeah, and yeah. about to kill each other. And so there was time of quiet uh, for about 10 minutes. And I just had this clear sense. It wasn't an audible voice, but God saying, I want you in the ordained ministry. And... I was not thrilled. I wanted to either be a sports journalist or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things that I wanted to do. Um, and th there was this clear sense. And so when he came, the speaker came around and said, what do you think God said? I said, I think God wants me in ordained ministry. And he said, well, you better check that out. So I went to see my minister at the time in the Baptist church. And he said, right, okay, in uh, four or five weeks time, you can stand up in church and share your testimony. Um, write it out first and uh, bring it to me four or five days beforehand and I'll mm -hmm. edit it. So I took it to him four or five days beforehand, took a red pen and c crossed out 85% of it and said, you can't mm. say that, can't say that, can't say that. Um, That's strange how my first sermon went. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, because that went apparently okay, yeah. um, he said, right, in a month's time you can preach a sermon, so why don't you preach for 10 minutes, then we'll sing a hymn and I'll preach for 10 minutes and repair the damage that you've done, um, which is what we did. Yeah. And he was amazing. Um, in fact, I was, I was emailing him uh, last week um, because he, uh, he gave me the opportunity every, because I went, then went off to university to do history, and um, every time I came home at Christmas, Easter, and in the summer, he would give me the chance to preach. And it was quite a large church, 450-odd, mm. uh, uh, just south of Manchester, and um, it's been a challenge to me over the years as I've gone on mm. in leadership. Do I give younger leaders the same sort of opportunity yeah. and the same chances to grow and make mistakes? Um, and 
then I found myself in positions of leadership when I was at university. Um, went back and did an internship in that church, tried for the Baptist ministry, was quite rightly turned down mm -hmm. for the Baptist ministry, unlike a person of your calibre. Well, um, you know, they know a good thing when it's coming. Yeah, well, obviously now they'll take anybody. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, then went into to student work, worked with UCCF in the Midlands in England, um, and again was given different opportunities to do different things. Um, but it was about 20 years ago, um, longer, 25 years ago, I went to Willow Creek in Chicago hmm. for the first time and went, did a two-day seminar which was called um, Discovering the Power of a Focused Life. And my wife looked at all the seminars and said, yeah. you need to go to that one. Right, okay. Um, and it was based on a, a book called The Making of a Leader by a guy called Robert Clinton. And Clinton used to work for the Navigators and then went to work mm. at Fuller Theological yep. Seminary. Yep. Where Wimber was for years. Where Wimber was. Yeah. Um, and people like David Watson Tours yeah. and, and others. Um, but what Clinton had done is when all the stuff about leadership and management came out in the 80s, um, he looked at it and said, well, that's good, but is it, is it biblical? Is mm -hmm. there a way that God deals with leaders in a way that's different to everybody else? And he came up with this sort of six or seven stage process uh, that, that God takes leaders through. Um, and during the course of this seminar, they, they, they said, right, think down of a, uh, of a person or an event or a circumstance or a memory that was influential in you, mm. including before you became a Christian. Yeah. And there were about five or six hundred of us from around the world sitting at tables of eight. And all these things kept coming out of my subconscious memories that mm. I'd forgotten. And they then got you to write a sort of chronological uh, timeline of you, because if it's chronological, it would be a timeline, yeah, yeah. Uh, a story of your life, with if it was uh, a significant event or a person, to write it on a yellow post-it. And then if it was a painful one, to write it on a pink post-it. Mm. And the speaker was just, he was a coach basically through this material and he would just make an observation as we were putting these pink post-its down on our yellow mm. post-its and he would say isn't it funny how the pink ones go together mm. and he said, it's quite often that God will use something that's difficult or painful um, and it, it'll allow two or three things to come at the same time mm. um, and there were memories you know age six or seven um, being made captain of cricket teams when I was uh, eight nine ten mm. um, and being given positions of leadership at primary school, in the first two years at high school, um, that it was clear that there were p other people spotted leadership qualities or gifts yep. in me before I became a Christian, and God knew that, mm. and God was using that stuff. And the first three or four stages that you go through are about things like character formation, mm. And yes, you're discovering what gifts you've got and what gifts you haven't got, but actually it's more about what God is doing in you than through you. Mm. You think that what you're doing is really important, but actually, you, with hindsight, you realize that the way God is changing your character is more important than, than what you're doing for God. Um, and then you reach this stage, which Clinton calls convergence, and that's when your gifts, your experience, your context, your passion come together and you can say, for this I was born. Mm. And 
the guy leading the course said exceptional leaders, people like Billy Graham mm. and others, they will hit it between age 25 to 30. Yeah. Normal leaders hit it 40. And I was, at that stage, I was 38 and realised that actually leading this church mm. was where I could say, this is why I was born. I wanted, mm. I wanted to lead a church that was accessible to people who weren't Christians, that was enabling people who weren't Christians to become mm. Christians, that was helping Christians grow in their faith and in their discipleship. Um, and if you put my experience, my gifts, my context, my passion, and my mistakes together, I could say, this is why I was born. Yeah, yeah, Because true. it all made sense. Yeah. Um, I love that idea of convergence. Yeah. Yeah. I also, like, you, t you touched on a few things there that, that I think are really important to leadership and leadership development is that I actually think it starts way younger than we think it yeah. does. So I think, you know, captain of the cricket team, yeah. you know, those kind of things where, where you're given these, you know, little bits of responsibility, like at school leading groups and all those yep. things. I think they're deeply formational. And I think that idea of a chronological, you know, looking at it over the, the longer piece is really interesting. That's yep. And so how does, so you said there that you, you lead P's and G's, mm -hmm. you try to make it accessible, you try to create these opportunities for people. What, what does that look like as a leader? How have you created that, that culture of, you know, making failure a friend or at least giving things a go? I, th I think it's it's being um, intentional mm -hmm. um, that if you don't organise your time, other people will. Yeah. So being unashamedly clear on what I can do and what I can't do. Not allowing other people to dictate um, how I use my time. So uh, boundaries are very important. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also as you get older... Um, remember listening to Irvin McManus from Mosaic Church sure. in LA and he, he, one of his things was that as you get older you should try and do fewer things better mm -hmm. so I think that that's true so now on the staff here we're, we're in a fortunate position of having the resources um, where we can employ staff to do things because the jobs are too big for volunteers mm. that's our basic principle but I now employ staff who are younger better at stuff that I used to do so yeah. I used to be um, a worship leader I used to be a youth worker I used to be involved in children's work mm. um, I now have other people who do it um, a because I'm now decrepit and can't do some of those things yeah. anymore because I did youth work in the last I'm glad you said that in the last <laughs> millennium. Yeah. Um, um, but actually now I'm doing youth work but it's actually it's, it's in a different way because it's yeah. called a staff team. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just on a small scale. Yeah. And and I love that 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 idea of you know like I I speak a lot about um, how do I make my ceiling the next generation's floor? Yeah. Do you know so how do we look towards the people that are going to come through that can actually take it to the next level? And um, it, it is all the things you know about not caring who gets the credit and mm. um, appointing people. You know great. Good leaders appoint good people, but great leaders appoint people who are better than themselves. Yeah. So it's trying to look for people who can do things better than I could ever do them. Yeah. Um, and we are fortunate in the position that we've got, and I would say every member of staff in the different ministry areas does them far better than I could ever do mm -hmm. them. And I, most Sundays I'll just sit and go, 
in awe. And yeah. they thought, blimey, that's amazing. And they don't do that with my preaching. Yeah. It's strange. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't like um, to comment at no, all, Dave. But it, but it, so, you know, I, that's my thing. Preaching yeah. and teaching yeah. is, is my thing. And then until you find someone better. Until I find somebody better. Um, and then I equip and release other people and give them, I, I talk with, with the staff, I'll give them permission, parameters, and a platform. Mm. So permission to fail, yep. parameters within which they can do things, um, and then a platform on which to do it. Yep. Um, so if things go well, they take the credit. If things go wrong, I get the blame. Yeah. And that's serious. I mean, yeah. but, but I think that is the sign of a great leader, personally. You know, I think we should create these spaces to allow people to run and fly. Yeah. And if they do amazing things, let them take the credit and the celebration. Well, I think the, the tragedy is that, especially in church circles, a lot of leaders are incredibly insecure mm. and that one of the reasons why churches don't grow is because leaders don't grow mm. and if the leader's not growing the church isn't going to grow because the scary thing is that the research shows that within 18 months a church takes on the characteristics of a senior leader okay which is scary yeah it's scary um, when i've been here 24 years so there's a reason why preaching yeah. jesus like it is don't comment um I, I would like, I have to say I actually love coming here. We love coming here, and I think the very thing that you're that you've created here is is a space that feels like family and is a space that feels welcome. Uh, well, which that's good. which that's I I, I actually love about it, and I know lots of people that visit the city and pop through here, and this would be where they would visit on a Sunday. Do you know? Um, and, I, and I think it's great. I think it's really exciting. But I do think that what you d guys do better than anyone else is create that platform because you see so many people coming through mm -hmm. and so many people getting opportunities to you know like we obviously had the great privilege let's say privilege of having josh work with us for a you while did, yeah. do you know and having josh as part of the alpha team we could see his growth here yeah as part of the staff team as well yep. it's fantastic to watch actually from yep. the outside and i think inevitably the leader sets the temperature uh -huh. and then he also set the values yeah. Uh, so you set the culture in an organisation, a company, mm. or a church, and so we do lack a lot. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Um, we take God seriously, but we don't take ourselves yeah. very seriously. And again, that that is quite unusual in the church in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Church in Scotland, a lot of people take themselves very seriously. Yeah. Um, we don't. Um, yeah. And we laugh a lot on the staff team. Um, Mostly with each other, but sometimes at each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and at ourselves, because that's okay. Yeah. Um, because if God hasn't got a sense of humour, I'm in deep trouble. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I actually, just just on a wee subject to that, so we, we just arrived in uh, just as you guys were finishing lunch. Yeah. And you used to have lunch together around the table. Yeah. Do you do that every day? Is that Every day. Yeah. Every day. Um, and it's just part of our culture, and it enables people to have some downtime with each other uh -huh. um, to get to know each other to laugh together um, and just spend time with each other that isn't a, in a meeting yeah that isn't uh, in a service that isn't at an event um, and we again it's it's, it's the sort of the um, the principle of uh, when you're appointing staff or, or getting people on a team around you get people around you that you want to spend time with mm -hmm. because in church work as in most jobs um, you're going to spend a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. So you might as well get people around you that you want to spend time with. Yeah. Um, doesn't I mean, the danger is that you therefore, 
uh, only appoint or, or gather people around you who are like you. Yeah. Um, you probably have to like them. If you don't like them, and you know, folks say that with you can probably tell within twenty seconds in a job interview mm. if that person gives you energy, and if you think, what would it like to be be spending time every day with mm. that person? If your initial reaction is, oh, it's got to be hard work. Yeah. Don't give them the job. Yeah. Don't have them on your team. Don't ask them to do something because you want people who will challenge you mm. and who will uh, push you. Um, but fundamentally, you want people that you like yeah. and that they like you and that they give you energy and it's a positive thing because uh, you don't want people around you who suck the life out of you. Yeah, I think... Um, when you're talking about Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, um, it might have been in his book Courageous Leadership, talked about this idea of um, plus two people, plus yeah. one people, and that idea of there are some mm-hmm. people that give you energy, re- even though they take a lot from you, they are energising yeah. because they're good to be around, yeah. but there are people who take a lot and cost a lot, and those are the people I you want to avoid. You know? Absolutely. Bill, I mean, Bill Hybels was instrumental in developing me as a leader. I was fortunate mm. enough to, I've been to Willow 14, 15 times, mm. I've been on two mentoring weeks. So one of the hard things has actually been dealing with, if you like, the fall of Bill Hybels mm. over the last two years yeah. and the realisation that although he was incredibly gifted, mm. um, he was incredibly flawed mm. um, if the allegations are to be believed and sadly I think uh, they are and I think it's been incredibly badly handled mm. um, by the Willow Creek Association and the church which they've acknowledged. Um, so that, that's been something as a leader that I've had to, to wrestle with as somebody that I admired who, mm. if you like, was my leadership hero. Yeah, yeah. Um, to actually realise he's just a normal human being who made some pretty serious mistakes mm. and actually created a culture um, that wasn't a healthy culture. Mm. Do you think, just speaking into that a little bit, do you think that's something that exists in church? Because I think it's something that I see probably more in church than I do in other places is this kind of like um, idolising of the leader, almost, you know, like th- there's still a yeah, kind of... Yeah, in this church. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Uh, but, but, but that's, I think, because people see you for what you're actually like, Dave. Um, but, but there is that mentality of, you know, like... You know, like the old, we used to say in the old fashioned way, you know, Mrs. McGlumfer wouldn't have thought she'd had a visit unless the minister had been round. Did you know? There is this kind of culture, I think, within church that senior leadership is held to a high account, you know? And I, it's, it's, a, it's a paradox, isn't it? It's a mm. funny tension in that. Uh, I mean, again, I think it is particularly within the church in Scotland, within different traditions, whether it's Catholic. Presbyterian, Episcopal, Pentecostal, Charismatic, mm-hmm. New Church is, is, is right across the board in that the minister, or the minister, mm. is held in such high regard that they can be put on a pedestal. So in the more reformed circles, it's, it's somebody who, is, who has the gift of preaching, mm. that, they are, that, that their gift is so elevated and so respected, they can do no wrong. Mm. So when I arrived in Scotland, I mean, it took one of our admin staff, it took her two and a half years to call me Dave. Right, okay. Because she was used to referring to the minister as Mr. Richards. Uh-huh. It wasn't his name, but she still called him that. Yeah. Um, but so she called me Mr. Richards for, for two and a half years. Yeah. Because that was the tradition that you, that it was such an elevated gift. 
yeah. that you had as the leader. And yet at the same time, the paradox in Scotland and Scottish culture is that, well, again, with apologies for the accent, I came you fair there, mm. and who do you think you are? Yeah. So there's this funny thing going on in the church in Scotland where I think it's actually more complicated to be a leader in Scotland, even than England, because the yeah. culture of leadership is different in Scotland. Yeah. Um, because it's a small country, because everyone knows each other, it's harder to be a leader, it's harder to be an entrepreneur, mm. it's harder to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating if you look at, uh, historically, the entrepreneurs from Scotland, often they had to, you know, Carnegie, mm -hmm. they left Scotland and became an entrepreneur somewhere else. Mm. So there's, there's this curious thing going on in the Scottish psyche and in Scottish culture of people wanting to be led and yet refusing to give a position of leadership respect unless it really, really has been earned. Mm. And within, whether it's the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, uh, it's different shades, the Catholic Church, we have this sort of ambivalent attitude towards leadership in Scotland. Yeah. Um, well, we don't, we like it, but we don't want it. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that happens in, in church circles is that there's a lot of projection and transference. Um, there's a lot of insecurity mm -hmm. in church leaders. Um, there's a desire for recognition, mm -hmm. for reward, um, for success, which is there in, in all of us. Um, but I think also there's a, I get deeply uncomfortable one of the things that I, I set out when I, I, I arrived in Edinburgh was that Peace and Cheese was not going to become known as Dave Richards Church. Mm. And it, if the if a church to Willow Creek was known as Bill Heidel's Church, yeah. and I think I think that's dangerous because yeah. if the church is synonymous with the senior leader in terms of the name, what happens when that person moves out? Absolutely. Um, what happens when something happens to that leader? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know it's a it's a cliched, but it is it's the Church of Jesus Christ. It, it's Jesus's church. Yeah. Some people, you know, what could you send your people to a conference? Mm. And I go, they're not my people. Yeah. I can't send them anywhere. Yeah, I've got no control over no. them. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and again, different churches work with different mm. cultures. But um, you know, mm. a few folk have said, well, if you take a lead, the church will follow. And I said, if I if I stand up and say I'm going to do this. Peace and Jesus would go, well, I'm very pleased for you, but we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Need, you have to lead in a different way. Yeah. Um, rather yeah. than the more sort of upfront, this is where I'm going, come after me. Mm. Well, they will come after you, but in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I kind of P45 kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I think it's really interesting. And, and I love, um, I love when we chat, Dave, because I think you do really have a great insight into Scottish culture and, you know, um, as your accent gives away, you're not originally <laughs> from here. Um, you could be from Edinburgh, to be fair. Yes, um, <laughs> but actually, there is that thing of what does it, um, you know, like, how does this insecurity thing affect us in Scotland so badly? Because I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's, um, there's certainly a lot of issues around, um, I'm trying to think of the word now, you know, um, like people not feeling that they're adequate enough. So they're constantly battling, they're constantly chasing to justify their role, their position, what's going on. And I actually just don't think that's the case. I think we've got some hugely talented, hugely gifted people, but they feel that they need to produce and deliver 
but actually I think it's the realisation that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Uh, you know? Yeah, I'm, and I think it's a particular particular challenge for Scots, you know, the, the, that we love we love charismatic leaders. We love you know people who have gallus. Mm. People love that. Yeah, you know, it's some a Scot who's got a bit of swagger, a bit like yourself. Yeah. I'll so take that. I'll take that. Any day. You'll take that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a bit about and a bit different. Oh, we know we like that as long as you don't step over the line and get too big for yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the size of the nation in terms of population and in terms of geography actually does have an effect. Yeah. In America, you can fail, go a thousand, two thousand, three thousand miles down the road yeah. to where no one has ever heard of you and try again. And nobody knows about your last mistake. Yeah. You make a you screw something up in Edinburgh. Yeah. You You'd have to go to America because you go to Glasgow, you go to Perth, Dundee, yeah. Aberdeen, yeah. Sterling. Oh, you're the boy that did oh, yeah, yeah. that thing. Yeah. Um, so there's, it's a curious sort of attitude yeah. that we have to leadership in Scotland. Yeah. And again, I mean, even if you look at sport, you know, Alec Ferguson, Phil Shankly, they went down south. Mm. They, they meant and made a success somewhere else. Mm. Um, and it, it, the size does affect. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. Actually, I like that. I think there is definitely something about it, and I think you're. I think we as a as a people group are not great at dealing with failure, either. No. You know, because we tend to, because we tend to have a bit of banter and a bit of a joke. It just becomes fun, but those jokes can actually cut quite deep for a lot of people. And and I, and I think, and again, this is I recognise dangerous territory for me as an English person who has lived in Scotland. Yeah. I would just like to say this is Dave's opinion. Yeah. It's not the opinion um, of us. <laughs> but if, you know, I didn't realise, I come from the north of England, so I thought I was a northerner. Right. Um, I thought people in Scotland spoke with a slightly different accent. The guys wore skirts occasionally, but apart from that, we were the same. Yeah. And we all hated people in London equally. Yeah. So it was a real, real education to come to Scotland and after about six months to the year realise this is a different nation. Yeah different education, different law, different history, different reformation, etc. But also to realise that culturally it is very different. And if you feel, this is where we get a slightly controversial mm. ground, um, but if you feel you've been oppressed for six, seven hundred years, mm. as a lot of Scottish people deep down yeah. do feel, well, what has that done to your self-confidence as a nation, mm. as a people, as a church, you know, because the Celtic Church was where Christianity first came to Britain, mm. and then it was subsumed under the Roman model mm. in the seventh century, and it became the Roman model rather than the Celtic mm -hmm. model that was adopted by the Church in Britain. So, if your natural expression of faith has been almost labelled as second best, and yet it's somehow still there in your psyche. What does that do to how you express your faith? Mm. And what does that do to how you express who you are as a person, as a culture, as a society, as a nation, as a church? And it's been one of the, the fascinating things for me has been to be in Scotland at the same time that the parliament has been reinstated mm. and to see Scots, and again, this is slightly controversial, but begin to discover or rediscover 
who they are, their self-confidence as a people, as a nation, and not define themselves by not being English. Yeah. Um, and actually, as an English person living in Scotland, um, there is an incredible admiration and envy within English people because we don't actually know what it is to be English. Mm. And yet the pride that Scottish people have in being Scottish uh, is something that, you know, whether it's at Hampden or Murrayfield or at a Cayley, um, to see that as an English person is actually very moving yeah. and something that I, I envy. But it has a knock-on effect uh, in the Scottish church um, where I don't think, and again, this is my opinion, not yours, um, <laughs> But I don't think God has a special plan for Scotland. I think God has a special plan for every nation mm. on earth. Um, and there can be, in this sort of slightly um, reverse of the we're not good enough, yeah. a sort of, well, of course, you know, there are only two nations that have a covenant with God. One was Israel and one was Scotland. Mm. Um, and somehow this belief that Scotland... Mm. Oh, did you read that as well? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it said. Yeah. Uh, from a platform and I, I just think I'm whoa I'm not sure that you can go Israel Scotland and the rest Aye. to be fair it is a bit of a jump like <laughs> you know being Scottish I totally understand yeah. um, do you know but yeah no I think there is just I, I think I think you've touched on a lot of things there that are really deep in Scottish psyche I also think that you know church growth models and stuff like there seems to be 150 seems to be the sweet spot but that was about the same size as a clan yeah and anthropologically you know what we see small communities in neolithic times and all that like they well always kind of in, in first century palestine you were only allowed to have a synagogue with 100 people well there you and go as soon as you got to 100 yeah. you had to start another synagogue uh -huh. so what are we doing in scotland whereby most of the churches actually are yeah. about 150 now the, the church in jerusalem by acts 20 it does speak about tens of thousands yeah but they were all divided into smaller groups uh -huh. um it was you know so the the mega church idea was there in jerusalem mm. in the first century but i'm not sure that some of the models that we have including willow creek mm. and saddleback and others that i've learned mm. from you have to adapt to the context and the culture yeah, yeah. It, it will be different here and it w it's different in Glasgow to Edinburgh, yeah. for example. And I think that cross-cultural thing that you're talking about, I think, is amazing um, for me. So, so I grew up in Speyside, obviously, and, you know, every five miles there's a Pumpkin different accent. Fishing, well, that's probably, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, shortbread and whiskey. <laughs> Do you know, that, that was my kind of bread and butter. Um, that's a heck of a diet. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's why I'm the way that I am. Um, but, you know, you look at that and then you go five miles up the coast and you've got a different accent and a different, you know, farming and or fishing and yep. you know and there is this thing in in scotland where there is so much diversity within us as a people group yeah i mean but we're all unified under this one one of our church plants uh also five you know abadab burnt island Mindekegan, mm. three villages next to each other on the five coast yeah but each one incredibly different to the other yeah even though it's five minutes down the road totally you know and but i think that diversity is one of the things that underpins us as a culture you know mm -hmm. I, th I think it's beautiful that we've got that but then when it comes to you know i would disagree with people from dustin for example but if you were going to pick on scotland it doesn't matter that they're from <laughs> dustin like you know we're all together like regardless yeah. but i do think that plays into the psyche and this um this this kind of unlike 
almost untouchable, unworkoutable thing where we just don't celebrate each other very well. Yeah. And, it, and it's hard to raise your head up and say, that person's really amazing. Because, you know, it's easier to shoot someone down, isn't it? It is. And, and it's, it's, I think there are similarities with Australian culture and the sort of tall poppy yeah. syndrome. Yeah. Um, well, they're just Scottish people that didn't make it here. Or were arrested. Well, I don't like to say reported. that. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you say? Didn't make it here. Yes. Yeah. They had a different, a different outlook on they life. Shall we say? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and sentenced. Yeah. Right, but you know. But I think you're right. And and drinking culture plays into that. And yeah. okay. anyway, we could talk all day, Dave. And but because we're paid to. We're, we're literally paid to drink <laughs> coffee and chat. So um, it's been so good chatting to you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us a wee bit of your insight and thanks for all that you do around Scotland and for us at Alpha and you're just a great guy. We love spending time with you. So well, thanks. Likewise, it's a real pleasure to um, come and spraff for half an hour. Yeah. I do it most Sundays. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I have heard. <laughs> um, so <laughs> nobody's <laughs> Thanks, Dave. We'll see yeah. you later.